Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey, welcome members of the Savage to Sage podcast. Um, I'm Kyle Maloney, and today I have the privilege of interviewing my uh, good friend, Scott Lemming, the founder and owner of Pax Custom Woodworking. Um, Scott, you are the first person, I believe, that I'm interviewing for 2023 year, and welcome to the Savage and Sage podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm really happy to be here, and I am also guessing that I'm one of the first people in the trades or in the labor, physical labor uh, force, if you will, um, on this podcast as well. So I definitely feel a little bit like a fish out of water kind of talking about business, uh, but it's inevitably wrapped up in what I do. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. That's great. Yeah, I'll actually have to look at our archives to see if you're the first and check with Daniel if that is the actual case. So, um, but yeah, couldn't be more excited to be here. We've been talking about you joining the show for a couple of months now. And just for just for our viewers and first time people checking this out, like, the whole premise of this podcast is savage to sage. And, you know, we have a kind of a firm fundamental belief that in order to start a company and to run it, you have to kind of be a savage. You have to go after it. You have to figure out, take some risks in order to kind of get things um, across the line and to build your company. But then also through that process, you have lots of learning that happens where you kind of get sage advice. And so I couldn't think of a better person to have on this podcast uh, than you, Scott, just to kind of hear more about your journey and um, and how you kind of came into starting uh, to Pax Custom Woodworking. So again, excited to have you here. For our viewers, can you kind of share with me like um, a concise professional bio um, of just your past uh, about Pax uh, Custom Woodworking and where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so PAX Custom Woodworking uh, started really as a hobby. I just fell into woodworking as a hobby uh, while I was a teacher back in 2012, 2013 or so. So just over 10 years is kind of when I got started just as a hobby. Um, but basically what I do now uh, is I just do custom woodworking. That's in the name of the company. Uh, but anywhere from uh, fine furniture to cabinetry, uh sliding barn doors or some kind of door, uh, a lot of that type of work. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, it's an LLC sole proprietorship. Uh, I am the only guy doing everything from answering the first inquiry email to the final touches of an install, uh, on a job site. So, um, I serve mostly Indianapolis and surrounding areas, central Indiana. And I don't do any uh, cross-country deliveries. I don't ship any items or anything like that. Everything is custom built in my shop and delivered straight to your home if you live within an hour or two from me. So that's uh, that's my focus. That's great. Well, you have your target market figured out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and we can get into all that. And I've thought about going into like the shipping side of things and, and building smaller items and shipping and stuff like that. But um, yeah, and we can kind of talk about how I figured out what I like to focus on and, and here and there. But basically, it's just I try to find... Um, I mean, I just have figured out what I like to do and what I don't like to do. And um, fortunately, I've had the, the business work out to where it for the most part, caters towards what I want to do. Um, and I've been able to make that work. I've talked with lots of business owners where, you know, that that's kind of a rarity. The fact that you kind of, you're in a business that, you know, you have a vision for it, but sometimes you can kind of get derailed. So the fact that you're able to participate, the market is demanding what you like to do. That's a really, that's a really sweet gift. Uh, it is. And I would say that, is not, uh, I was, I was flexible from the beginning. Like it all started with me just building furniture for my house and just really enjoying that. And then I would start getting without even trying, would start getting people asking me, Hey, can you build me this? Can you build me that? And thinking of that and starting it as a business was the scariest thing that I had no clue of how to do. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I could make a business out of this, but, uh, I don't know that I want to. And the idea of having to price my work felt so intimidating. It's not that I just get to pick and choose every single project that I do. Like I have to say, there are times when I just I'm like, yeah, I should say yes to this. You know, I would if I were to have it my way, I would do more furniture than cabinetry. But most of the time, I'm doing cabinetry because that's what's what's needed. I just happen to like doing it. it. May not be my first choice, but I enjoy doing it. And so, I think the key is like, is this something that is one worth my time and something that I enjoy doing. And if it doesn't answer both yes to those, then that's usually a good uh, indicator that I should not take this job. But it is a sweet position to be in where I'm, I feel like I'm not constantly having to try to sell myself. Uh, my work is there. If you like it, great. Uh, but you may not be the right fit for me either. That's something that I had to kind of learn was not just saying yes to every project if somebody asked me to, uh, because that was definitely like a weakness of mine of just wanting to be like, oh, they want me to do this. Like, and in the beginning, I like doing it so much. I would be like, man, I wish I could just do this for free for everybody and not even have to think about pricing myself because I didn't want to have to deal with the, the conflict of charging too much or charging too little. And why can't it just be a neutral thing and I can just build it for you for free? But that's obviously not practical. So. <laughs> No, that makes that makes sense. And like, I mean, I know that we're talking about woodworking here. I mean, and if you go to Scott's website, you'll see that the pieces that he that he does and he completes are just um they're beautiful pieces that you'll have, you know, probably, you know, for 10, 15, 20 years at least. I know this sounds a weird question regarding your business, but like because I know you well enough to know that there's meaning behind your work, like what problem would you say your company is like kind of solving, you know, for people, you know, through your woodworking? Yeah. Well, I think the answer is twofold because it's also a problem that I'm solving for myself. Um, like first and foremost, I do woodworking because I enjoy doing it and I get a, a, a ton of fulfillment in doing it, a ton of joy in doing it. Um, and it's been part of me ever since I was little. Uh, I just wish that I had more of an awareness to 
this actually being uh, an opportunity for a career as a kid. But I mean, I took woodshop in seventh grade for the first time and absolutely loved it. And then uh, became a teacher's aide the next year in eighth grade. And, you know, those were, that was the job left for the, the students the prior year who did well in your class or really liked doing it or whatever. And so I got that. And then I did it in ninth grade. And then one more year in 12th grade and just was was good at it and liked doing it. But it never crossed my mind that this was uh, uh, something that I could ever pursue. I mean, I took, I went to college and did all the things that I was supposed to do. And um, it just never even crossed my mind. I was like, there's no way I can make money doing this. But for me, it was, it was, a, it was a problem that was like, I think looking for something to do during the summertime while I was a teacher. And then I think, you know, I had a really like spiritual connection to it. Um, just making is just something that I think is just embedded into being a human. And so it, that was a place for me to do that. Uh, I'm not an artsy creative type where I can just like draw this beautiful picture out of thin air. And I'm, I'm not a design guy, but I really enjoyed the, the building and the making and the engineering process of it. So it was, it gave me space to do that. Whereas, you know, other jobs that I had before didn't fulfill that kind of itch. Uh, but the problem that I saw from my clients, I mean, here's a real like re uh, repeated example is that I get a lot of clients that just built this new house in a surrounding suburb and they have these two open spaces next to their fireplace and they want some custom cabinets and floating shelves to fill that space. Uh, great. I get that call all the time. Um, I've done that dozens of times. And um, so I'm, I'm helping people take a very um, standard and neutral space and give them an opportunity to customize it, make it their own. That's usually a big problem. As well as, uh, you know, people nowadays really appreciate and are starting to appreciate craft. Uh, somebody who's good at their craft because, I mean, woodshop is hardly ever even in schools anymore. And so people don't just have access to woodworkers all the time. And a lot of people are also diving into the DIY world and learning how to do a whole bunch of stuff because of all the accessibility on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all that. They realize that they don't just want somebody who's just a DIYer. They want somebody who's doing this professionally. And that's harder to find than your just average DIYer. There's plenty of guys out there that are just doing this on the side, but they're having, they either don't want to do it full time or they're not sure how to take on the business side of it and make it a full time gig. And so they're only able to do it when they get a chance. And so I'm trying to provide not just the custom side, but somebody who is, I'm trying to be the, the, the one who's actually passionate about it um, and was able to make it work to where I can do this a lot. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, seeing your work, there's a difference. There's a legitimate difference to getting something from Ikea, getting something from a furniture store. Uh, the customization of it and the quality is just there. And like, there's something that you're delivering uh, through your woodworking that it, it just, it uh, just really apparent and it's hard to kind of put um, a value to it. So I just... You know, I can see why people would want a custom woodworking person to kind of come into their house and provide um, some some pieces that just really uh, make a, a huge difference. There was one piece, we moved to Indonesia in 2017, 
and we furnished our home, uh, there was one piece of furniture that like made the entire house. And it was because it was just this beautiful woodworking thing that we set up on the entryway of our wall. And we knew that as long as we had that piece, like our home was going to be an inviting, you know, place for people to be. And so it just, it's just all, all that to say is like, I just, the work that you're doing and the quality that you do uh, just stands out a lot. So um, yeah, thank you for answering that, uh, answering those questions. What a transition a little bit of like, kind of like you've alluded to it a little, a little bit, but as far as like, this is a hobby. Um, first of all, I didn't know they had 12th grade shop. Um, I wish I was at your high school because I think I had to do like uh, all of these speech classes and computer classes. But to think the transition to kind of move into from it being a hobby to it being a business, like kind of walk me through that process for you and how that developed for you internally to kind of take it on. Yeah. So it kind of reignited and became a hobby. I had just gotten married. We're living in Southern California. It is expensive. We live in this tiny apartment. Uh, We actually had a little bit of like a backyard. And our first Christmas is coming up. Don't have much money for, for gifts. And somehow the idea came up that what if I buy a cheap table saw and find some pallets? This is back in like pallets are just like the coolest thing ever. Uh, they're not anymore for the record. Um, yeah, I was like, find some cheap pallets behind the grocery store, take them without asking and just break them apart and build stuff for as Christmas gifts. So so yeah, I, it's exactly what I did. I built for that first Christmas, uh, took that table saw, took some pallets, and I built a small little media center, entertainment center for my mom. Uh, I built a coffee table for my wife. I built like a Japanese-style garden bridge for my dad and some like blanket ladders all for everybody. And I don't know how I did this in like, you know, two months. Like, But I just had such a blast doing it. And... And they were, I mean, the most, I mean, not quality pieces because when you're dealing with pallets, nothing is straight and, you know, I was breaking, breaking all sorts of safety rules and, but I just didn't care. Like it was just so fun. I just saw it. I'm like, I'm doing really crappy woodworking right now, but, and I, and I know it, but I've, this is all I've got right now. And it's just a blast. So I had a ton with, ton of fun with that. And from then on, it was just, okay, how can I, make space to work. So that table saw fit in my back little patio at, at an apartment. And so I'm doing all this woodwork in my apartment <laughs> to get started. Um, but eventually we were able to move to a place where we had a garage. And so I had now like I had space for like my first shop. And so I just kept on doing it. We uh, built a ton, ton of furniture for that house. And, and um, yeah, it, and it got to a point where I started getting some uh, some commissions here and there. I actually got to a point where, you know, I was a teacher at the time. So I had summers off to do tons of woodworking. Well, I decided that I wanted to actually make a little bit of money and also learn from a few professionals. So I got a job as a, uh, just a, an apprentice mill worker kind of guy, but it was a custom wine cellar company in Southern California. So all of their clients were like these fancy Beverly Hills clients and so I got to work with those guys and learn a little bit more of like the fine side of it and milling process and just having some like accountability and not just being on my own 
making my own standards and kind of see some other people's standards out there. So that was really helpful. But then we moved to Indiana about almost six years ago. And, you know, the, the possibility of, a, of this taking off and becoming a business started to open up in my mind a little bit, started paying attention uh, a lot more um, to what I'd like to do. Now that I was in a place where I actually felt like it was an option, um, you know, because California is just so expensive, it was like, I can't afford to just try to do two things at once. I got to find something that just pays the bills and just stay there. Right. But now with being in Indiana, it was way more, um, way more affordable. So I felt like I had some opportunity here. So, but yeah, during my first year here is my last year teaching and my first year in Indiana, I just started to notice like how much I spent, how much time I spent just daydreaming about my next project or about my next commission project and how little I actually liked teaching liked my job. So um, I taught seventh grade language arts. So you're probably wondering, or you're not wondering anymore why I didn't want to teach anymore because that's just hard work. I started taking on more commission clients. And at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? I think I want to jump into, I don't know about running my own business, but I at least want to make a career change and see what I can do here. So let's just see what happens. So I decided I would apply to like four different types of woodworking jobs that I could find and just see what happens. So after four, and then mind you, I had already exhausted. I was trying to get rehired as a teacher. I had gone through a dozen interviews. Each time I would make it to the final round and then they would go with somebody else. And so I was just exhausted with the interview process already and just worried about work, honestly. But I had four job interviews for woodworking jobs and I got offers from all four of them. And, and they were some better than others, but the first one, but one of them was like, Hey, this is actually an income that I can survive on. And I'm literally in a, in a wood shop all day woodworking. I'm not making furniture, but I'm like, I'm woodworking. And this is awesome. That led to, well, that job only lasted about two months. Um, and it was, it was, a the boss was kind of a lone guy. And anyways, it just didn't work out with him. Um, and so I was like, okay. Here we go. Uh, summer's not even over. And um, so I got another job. Again, it was easy to find another interview. It's easy to, to get hired. I realized like, gosh, this skill set that I have is actually has a lot of job security to it. Like in the sense that there's always jobs out there. There's always a need for it. So like I've started to feel a lot more like safe doing this, making this big jump. And uh, but again, found another job that lasted two days. I was like, this is not why I left teaching. It was like, this job sucks. So quit that one. And then finally, I was like, okay, I need to find another gig and find something that's going to work. Uh, found a guy doing trim carpentry and, and actually enjoyed that. That lasted a good like seven, eight months or so. But at the same time, while I was doing that, I was like, in the back of my head, I'm like, I really want to do my own thing. And it took me sort of, you know, a, cha- a few jobs to realize like i'm not going to be able to find the perfect woodworking job what i'm realizing is that like i want i enjoy doing commission jobs on my own where i have control of my schedule i have control of the the type of woodworking that i'm doing to some degree and it's just a matter of like can i actually make this work and get enough work for this to be a sustainable job for me and for my family after like my third job that one was starting to head its way out. And so I decided, okay, here's my plan. Uh, so my, here's, here's the actual transition. Sorry for the long 
background to get in, get to my point. But my plan was for this next job, it's going to be another woodworking job. And I'm going to go into this job with the intention of this launching me into my business full time. I already had like, I was always doing regular commissions, but just like one a month, maybe or something like that. And, um, and so I knew that I was like, all right, I'm going to uh, work it out with my new boss that, hey, can I work here four days a week and do four 10-hour days and then have one day off? Because my plan is to phase out of this job and to do my own business. Like That's like no, no secrets here. Uh, that's that's my, my goal. He's like, yeah, that's fine. And so we did that. I'd spent one day a week working on my commission jobs. And then as I get busier, uh, I say, hey, can I knock it down to three days, work in three days and two days? And they had enough workers available to where it wouldn't be a big issue. So he said, yes, so I transitioned from three days, uh, from four days to three days there and then two days at home. So it starts to build up a little bit more. Then March 2020 happens and pandemic happens and all these stimulus, stimulus checks are being thrown out. And all of a sudden I get flooded with orders. And so, and we were, and the business that I was working for, they were not sure, they were about ready to close down for a month um, or didn't know how long they're going to close down. So it felt like all of a sudden I was booked out with jobs uh, for like nine months. I calculated like nine months worth of work on my own full time at my own house. So that was a very natural, like, okay, it's time to go for it. Um, it's okay to just leave this job behind and just know that like, if, it doesn't work out. I can always come back to them, or I can always find another job doing something else uh, in the same field. But it became a very natural launching pad for me. And though I haven't been booked out nine months at a time like that, uh, I've always been at least three or four months booked out in advance. And I'll have slow seasons of inquiries here and there, um, but I've not had any issues of worrying about where my next check is going to come from. So that was. Uh, almost three years ago. And yeah, it's kind of wild. That's amazing. I mean, I think the thing that I love about what you shared is it started with Christmas <laughs> in California. Yep. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, that's just amazing. I mean, to me, that's a telltale sign of an entrepreneur. Okay. Like, this is what I got. I'm going to do what I know with what I got and make it work and make it be a gift. And that, so that's the number, th I, that's the one thing that picked away from you sharing that story. Another thing was um, just your ability to kind of say, come to the realization that like, I know that I'm not going to be satisfied unless I'm um, working for myself and, um, and pursuing business the way and woodworking the way that I want to. Um, I think that's another common theme that I get here with entrepreneurs and founders is that those two things are pretty, pretty common as far as that self-realization. So it was really cool to hear you kind of explain that uh, through your story. So yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. And like, I would just add to that, that took a long time for me to learn and know what I wanted to do. Uh, having the awareness, I think, of what I wanted to do took me a long time. Like I said, like I was when I first got started in doing this and in the place that I was at, like I had very little just self-awareness in general. 
And so I think moving to Indiana and surrounding myself with a really particular kind of community that you and I both share in common with was that uh, I was kind of taught to start paying attention. I had got like friends being like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this as a business? Like you could do this. Like, is that something that you want? Let's figure out, is this something that you want? And like, and you know, those daydreams, like those are my chance to sort of process, like, why am I daydreaming about this? Oh, it's because I actually want to do this. Um, and so, and I think going into it and jumping into the, the entrance of the business side of it was, okay, I am, the thing that I'm most afraid of is I don't want to turn a hobby into something that I don't want to do anymore, right? Uh, I found it was something that I found just such a strong passion for that I was like, I decided that I wanted to be protective of it. And I'm, my goal was going into it was I'm not going to wear myself out on this. I'm going to be protective of this this hobby, um, and and protective of this passion. Um, and so that meant if I'm going to go into this business side of it, I'm going to go into it with a pace that makes sense for me. I can't do this with this Shark Tank style attitude of I just need to quit everything and put all of my eggs in this basket and you know sacrifice my family for all of this stuff just so that I can follow my dream or something like that. Right. Um I, it's not like yes it's my passion, but it's also not me. Like my identity is not I am not just a woodworker. It is a big part of me, and it's a big part of what I do. But it, but and the business is is part of what I do, and it's but it's not me, if that makes sense. So I wanted it was important for me to go at it at a pace that sort of that makes sense, that isn't rushed and isn't founded on anxiety of making sure that like that I'm just worried if I if I'm worried about about it all the time, then that's that's a problem. That's, that's otherwise. And because if I'm stressed out on a project that I'm working on and I'm, I'm feeling rushed, that doesn't help the project itself. I got to be the best thing I can do is be in a calm and secure state of mind when I'm building. Otherwise you're speeding it up. You're cutting corners and making sacrifices that affect the project itself. And it affects me because I'm also, I'm not happy doing it. So I, I think that was a really key and important thing that I thought about quite a bit jumping into it. So I was fortunate enough that like that sort of transition period from one job into this full time was able to work out. Yeah, I really like what you said there. It seems like you you really had kind of clear intentions about how you wanted your business and how you wanted to operate within your business and specifically what you didn't want it to look like or be like for you and for your family. Is that fair to say? Yeah, because I knew that I was I, I wasn't alone in this journey, and part of the reasons why I became a teacher was because I I knew that I was going to have extra time with my family. Um, you know, I grew up with a with a dad who traveled all the time, so I wanted a job that would allow me the space to be present and home and available to my wife and children, and that was super important to me. And so this meant that. I already thought that I'm like, I have a great amount of time with my family being a teacher, especially extra time during the summer. Uh, but this was a chance for even more of an opportunity because I'm literally home all day, uh, while, especially while my kids are young. 
and so that was another big motivation for it um, was that sort of sort of freedom to be present and available to my kids. So, and I think the big part of it was that this is a job that gives me energy rather than sucks it away from me. This is work that, you know, I would come home from work while being a teacher and just be exhausted, but I it didn't matter. No matter how exhausted I was, I loved woodworking so much that I would, you know, once everybody went to sleep, on a, especially on a weekend, I would go into the shop from 1030 at night and come back inside at two in the morning and just have had the best time of my life doing it. And so that, like, I would always say, like, time and temperature don't matter when I'm in the shop. Um, I don't care how cold it is or how hot it is, and I don't care what time it is. I'm just in the zone and getting after it. And so that, I just get, it was just so life-giving for me that I knew that the best way for me to love myself, to love my family, and the people that I care about was to do what I'm loving, do what I love. And so I'm always a huge proponent for anybody to figure out what they love doing. And if they can figure out a way to, to make money to do it while they're doing it, you're, you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care of the people that you love around you. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing. I mean, that's a great piece of sage advice, I would say. Doing what you love is a gift to you and those around you. And, you know, kind of not settling for it, you know, not settling for something um, else. And I think that's kind of some of, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the process that you've learned, like, hey, I, I could do teaching, you know, I don't necessarily love it. It allows me to be with my family, but being drawn to what you're drawn to and actually keeping that sacred, even as you start out as a business, I, you know, I can... I can kind of see it, you know, um, with other people is it like, Hey, I'm starting a business and kind of the normal reaction is now I need to grind. You know, it's just kind of like culturally, it's like, like I need to grind now. And, you know, some of the questions that we ask in our podcast just kind of has to do with pace, has to do with self care, has to do with kind of tending to yourself as well. So I think the, the, you know, the, the encouragement that I get is that it seems like you've proactively have those things internally and are using that to kind of help with the flourishment of your business and yourself. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you've been running the business for three years. It's been a long kind of transition to get there. Kind of what are some key things that you've learned along the way? Just by starting a business is already a big accomplishment for me personally in the sense that I've did something that I was afraid to do or thought was impossible at one point or thought was would never happen. And the same goes for the types of projects that I've done. I've gotten plenty for some reason that I would get types of projects that I would say, that looks like an awesome project. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but yes. <laughs> you know, uh, And you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it exactly like that to my clients. Um, but there's just something in me that just knows that like, I'm saying yes to this and I'm going to figure it out and it is going to be awesome and I can't wait to do it. So like, I've definitely, I experienced that, like it doesn't happen as much as it did, as, as it did in the beginning, because, you know, I've done a lot of things now and things are less like scary and less, um, you know, intimidating. But I think that sort of like drive of wanting to try new things is always exciting for me, even if I don't know how it's gonna gonna work. Um, 
sometimes I'm, I put myself in a position where I'm like, I have to make this work and I'm going to have fun doing it. Things become less scary. Um, you start to have, allow yourself to have bigger dreams. Um, so for example, one of my earliest dreams, once I was getting into woodworking, I watched a ton of YouTube and there's this one guy on YouTube named John Peters who had this, he lives in New Jersey and he has this big, beautiful property and he has a small barn workshop in his backyard. And, you know, it may be the size of a one car garage, uh, but it's a two level building. And I remember looking at that and just thinking, gosh, that would be so amazing to have like a wood shop in my backyard, right? Long story short, I now am almost done building a wood shop in my backyard. And as I started to think about doing that, I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I don't know if I'm going to hire out to build part of it. You know, I build fine furniture. I don't do construction. You know, I'm not working with two by fours. I'm working with quarter sawn white oak, you know, stuff like that, like fancy materials and stuff. And so I don't know the the ins and outs of, of construction, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> so uh, I'm almost done with the project, but like that's sort of a attitude of feeling like th- this is kind of scary, but it's something that I really want and know that I can do it when I want to do it uh, or when I, you know, really try and put my, my mind to it, I guess. I think I answered your questions. <laughs> Oh, you know, you did. And I think the, the big lesson that I'm getting here is that, you know, I, again, from from previous conversations, entrepreneurs, founders, you know, kind of rise up to the challenge and they look at challenges as opportunity. And um, I think for you, you're like, hey, like, that's something I want to pursue. I want to challenge myself. Like you've said that these are things that you've dreamed about that you're accomplishing. And there's a level of just fulfillment in that. And you're like, how do I keep, you know, participating in that ecosystem where I'm, you know, challenging myself, but seeing the rewards for doing that as well. So I think that's a, that's an incredible, you know, piece of learning and excitement. And I've seen your shop in the backyard and it's amazing. So it's an amazing feat. So I, I mean, if you would have told me that that's the first time that you've done that, I would have never have known because uh, it looks so good and so professional. So yeah, kind of a, a follow-up question. You know, I think we have like one or two more questions and then we, I'll let you kind of uh, give you an opportunity to share about if people were interested in knowing more about your work and your website, you can share with them how they'd like to connect with you. But if you were to talk about like your most rewarding thing that has come from your evolution, maybe that's something we've already discussed or maybe it's something different. Like when you think about that, what what do you think it would be for you? You know, I definitely hit on it when you know, you see something that you want to do, but it seems scary and it seems big and unattainable. And I think I've, to myself, not necessarily to other people, but to myself, I've proved that I can do things that seem impossible to me. Um, I think that's a, that's a big one. And that goes for, that translates into so many areas. Um, you know, especially this past year for me, I've done a ton of, uh, just self, examination, I guess. Uh, and one of the things that I used to say that I was like scared to do, like as far as like self-awareness goes is, is digging into my childhood because I think, and one, and I've discovered, I think is a big reason why I am the way that I am, the what, the what, the big reason why anybody is the way they are 
it's because of who they were and what they experienced as a child. Um, you know, people who are doing that are really, really, really good at something, you know, you start to wonder why are you really, really, really good at something? What happens positive or negative in your life uh, through your, the way your parents treated you to make you feel like you need to be that good at something, right? And so let me just take another little side example um, that has to do with business a little bit is that, you know, for a while, not, uh, a couple of years ago, I in- incorporated a lot of social media into my work right at the same time that I was kind of getting the business going. I was like, you know what, I'm going to use, I'm going to really try to get going on social media. And that was right when TikTok was starting to, to get an edge a little bit. And so signed up for a TikTok account and got, you know, one video got up to like four or 5 million views and just started gaining a huge traction there. And that sort of like rush that I was getting from all this attention across the world and um, what became such a big motivator for me, not necessarily from uh, a little bit from my work, but I started noticing that when I'd be building projects, I would film the projects and make videos out of them. Uh, but I started, it started affecting and changing how I would build a project because it happened. I needed to film it in a certain way. Long story short, I became so wrapped up into this image of myself through TikTok and Instagram. Uh, it wasn't a business thing for me, even though I would say this is business. Like I became very personally wrapped up. There was something at stake for me. For me, it was, you know what? I need praise. I need to feel that people think my work is good. I need people to tell me, gosh, you're so good at what you do. Gosh, that's amazing. I could never do that. Like I, I felt like I needed that type of uh, affirmation. Uh, and it was a double-edged sword because it's social media. There's no one on earth that is only praised. You know, you get tons of hate and terrible comments and stuff like that too. And so like, I couldn't read both of those with a neutral mindset uh, and be unaffected by it. I just started paying attention. Like, what, why do I need, why do I need this? And a big part of it was just because, you know, my, my parents were not, were hardly around. Like I had an older sister who she really raised me. My parents were always out doing their own thing. My dad traveled all the time. My mom was at work. I was in childcare or daycare all day since I was a baby. You know, I was just left on my own in a lot of ways. And so that, I mean, it makes sense to why I'm such a DIYer is because I've learned in my life that I don't need people and I can just do things on my own and figure it out. And there are ways that that shows up in strengths, but there are also ways that that shows up in weaknesses. Also learning. So I guess just, I mean, I could go all day in, in that sort of space, but just learning to pay attention to like who I was as a kid has been amazingly helpful in the type of dad that I am, type of husband I am, and the type of business owner I am. Um, and, and being able to sort of figure out like when I, if I'm chasing success, well, why do I need success? Why do I need to appear successful? Do I need security? Why do I need security so bad right now? Was, was it lacking as a kid? Am I really okay? Like all these types of questions that we can be asking ourselves. And I used to be deathly afraid of diving into my childhood because of what am I going to find? What type of memories are going to pop up? And what type of shame am I going to feel? What type of sadness am I going to feel? Whatever the case may be. There's gold there. Uh, everybody's got gold in their, their history and in their past that help us unveil why we are the way that we are 
because the reason why we run a business the way that we do, largely attributed to our past, who we are, what brought us to that point. And some of those are deeply personal and deeply, you know, they have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of vulnerability there for sure. But, uh, yeah, for me, that that's this past year has really been a, you know. Thank you for sharing that, Scott. I mean, I think, I really think that's probably like peeling back the onion in a, in a way that um, I'm not sure that um, has been peeled back on, um, on the podcast thus far. I really appreciate it and agree with it. And uh, just thank you for your, your vulnerability to kind of share that because I do think um, if we were to peel back the onion layer within ourselves, like what drives us, you know, kind of what are we not attending to that comes out on a day-to-day basis is really a reality. I think both of you and I would agree that, you know, the healthy, the healthiest people that I've been around are the people that um, have looked at that and recognize how that affects them, who they are today, and um, are in the process of figuring out how to um, make themselves whole in the midst of, you know, those experiences in a way that's life-giving. And uh, so I really appreciate you just highlighting that and specifically how it affects you as a business owner. As you said, there's, uh, there's a lot of gold there. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So if people want to get to know, um, uh, you know, see your work and those types of things, um, what's the best way or even get in contact with you? What's the best way uh, they can do that? Yeah. So the, the primary way that people most often find me is through my website, which is paxwoodworking.com. If you live in Indianapolis, even if you do a Google search and type in woodworker near me, uh, I'll usually be the first one to find out. There's some free SEO advice for you right there. So, um, <laughs> uh, meaning, meaning like it's not, it's not just free advice, but it's, it's, it's a free way to, to get, uh, some traction. At least for me, that's been a huge way of, of people finding me. I also do post my projects on, uh, Instagram at Pax Woodworking. I don't post on TikTok anymore. Um, I did for a little while. I got like, I got quite a bit of traction, but I just, I, I actually don't even have social media on my phone just because I, it's just not healthy for me to even have access to it. Uh, I'd rather just be not even thinking about it, but I'll post occasionally. So yeah, those are, those are the easiest way to get to me is uh, Instagram and the website, which, so if you fill out a contact form on there, it sends me a direct email. Wonderful. Okay. Well, Scott, it was a pleasure and thank you for sharing your sage advice with us on the Savage Stage. Thanks for having me. Really had a good time. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.